AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Invention, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Invention. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And Robert... I'm going to start off with a question that may seem totally unrelated to today's topic, but we'll get there. How often do you encounter a belief in fate in the modern world, in this technological society that we live in? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it it certainly shows up in in narratives that we encounter and and even – put a great deal of um, of thought into, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in our modern society. But in terms of like personally believing in fate, I don't know. I mean, there are, there are certainly various, uh, particularly I'm thinking of various sort of new age belief systems that put a lot of emphasis on sort of setting your own fate and manifesting something in the future and therefore like creating this, this line of fate that you're going to follow. Uh, but so many other like religious worldviews are going to depend upon like the the importance of, of free will. Mm-hmm. You're making a choice to do you know to go this way or go that way, and perhaps things are more or less on the rails once you have made that choice. But then I feel like in the secular world, there's more of an understanding of um, of chaos and mm-hmm. uh, and chance, and maybe we you know we exaggerate our chances regarding various things. But for the most part, we realize that. Uh, where it's we're kind of at the whim of the universe. I feel like it shows up some in uh, in some contexts more than others. Like you still very often get the feeling of uh, p- people falling in love and believing they were meant for each other. That's true. So I, you do encounter it there. That's like a certain kind of belief in fate. And I would say that belief in fate is not exactly the same thing as the sort of personality trait of fatalism, which mm-hmm. you do encounter sometimes. Yeah. I mean, when you get into the whole, you know, question of free will, which we certainly have uh, quite a bit on our other show, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you know, there's always that, um, you know, that view of looking at things as just completely, you know, everything is predetermined by your environment and uh, and the brain and that we're, you know, we're not, the, the argument that we're not even necessarily making any choices. We're just on this trajectory. And I guess you could, you could very much align that worldview with an idea of fate. You know, what else could we be? What else could we do being what we are? Yeah, but then again, you have the idea that, uh, I mean, it's very common belief among, say, philosophers and uh, and and physicists and stuff that there's this this principle of compatibilism, which mm-hmm. says that well, maybe we do live in a physically deterministic universe, and yet, nevertheless, because of some features of the way we conceive of free will, the idea of determinism in physics and free will in our lives are not really actually in conflict. And of course, I mean, there are going to be cultural differences here as well. I mean, certainly in in the United States, there's still 
the you know this idea of uh, you know American exceptionalism and combine that with celebrity worship and celebrity culture, and you have like you have some kind of weird uh, warped takes on what fate is and how it works. You know, like is the is there just sort of this idea in society that you are you know you're destined for greatness, or are you mm-hmm. defying the fates by uh, you know grasping after your own greatness? Well. This all came to mind because we're talking about scissors today. <laughs> so what's the connection here? Well, I was thinking about how the ancient Greeks were in in many ways really into fate and destiny. And I think you'd probably find some some counter strains of thought running in the, through ancient Greece, but it was a it was a common folk belief among the ancient Greeks that a person's life was already a sort of pre-written text decided in total for them at the moment of their birth. And then a more limited version of this was that even if all the exact details of your life weren't predetermined, the length of one's life and the time and the nature of one's death were all decided in advance and even the gods couldn't intervene. But if even the gods couldn't intervene to change your fate, who's deciding your fate in the first place? If it's not Zeus, then who? And here is where a trio of excellent creepy characters from mythology comes in. Uh, According to one popular form of Greek religion and folk belief, the deciders of each person's individual destiny are the morai or the three fates. These are depicted as three divine women spinning out our lives as strands of thread or twine. And they've got – they've each got their own name and personality. So there is Clotho, the spinner, who creates the thread of life upon her spindle. And then there's Lachesis, the allotter, who measures out a certain length of the thread of your life. And then – there is Atropos, the inflexible or the inevitable, who makes the decision final and secures the circumstances of each person's death by snipping off the thread of life with a pair of scissors or shears. Yeah, there's it's they get worse as they proceed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they do, yeah. Uh, there's a great line that the poet John Milton wrote about them in the uh, poem Lycidas in the section where he – I think he's sort of talking about the cruel ironies of fate. And he writes that, you know, just when we think we're about to come to some great reward, quote, and think to burst out into sudden blaze comes the blind fury with the abhorred shears and slits the thin-spun life. Ha. Huh. Now, the, one of the interesting things about this to bring everything back to invention for a second is that – is that we're we're looking at a, just a yet another example of technology, and in this case, essentially manufacturing, mm-hmm. uh, like linear manufacturing, being used as a metaphor for something about life, for understanding the mysteries of the universe. Yeah, coming to see the most fundamental attributes of human life itself through our ancient technological innovations, like the wheel. Mm-hmm. How many metaphors about life and death involve the wheel? And now, spinning an ancient textile technology. <laughs> but I love the idea of Atropos, the the inevitable, because it's, it's, so, uh, it's so spooky and empowering. The next time you're scrapbooking, or the next time you're wrapping Christmas presents and you've got that pair of scissors in your hand, you think of yourself as Atropos, the inflexible, the blind fury with the abhorred shears who cannot be reasoned with, cannot be bargained with, who doesn't feel pity, who will not stop Mm -hmm. until the snip. You know, uh, Stephen King wrote uh, an excellent novel years back titled Insomnia Mm -hmm. uh, about a a man who's having increasing trouble getting to sleep, experiencing insomnia. But he begins to sort of waken up to... uh, all these the sort of supernatural goings on in the the town and in the world, uh, you know, j- just outside of the uh, you know the, the vision of the waking uh, people, mm-hmm. and uh, three uh, three fates essentially show up in that story as well with their authentic Greek names. But instead of being uh, you know these three women, they're uh, displayed as as three little bald doctors with scissors. <laughs> Well, I think that's appropriate. Uh, little bald doctors are about creepy enough to match this myth. And it's actually rather – I don't know to what extent King was thinking about this. But one of the things we end up, uh, we're going to end up discussing in this episode is that, you, is, is that, of course, shears and scissors are used not only for domestic purposes but also for surgical purposes. Right. So it makes sense that both uh, you know, these, uh, these sort of uh, archetypical um, – uh, you know, uh, you know, homemakers from Greek mythology mm-hmm. would have the scissors at their disposal, but also some sort of an imagined doctor as well. Uh, so I was looking around at, uh, you know, for other examples of scissor-related mythology. And, uh, you know, this is not an exhaustive list, but a few different uh, examples came up from different points in time. 
um, some certainly more modern than others. One of my favorites has always been the the English nursery bogey, uh, the red-legged scissor man. Ooh. His whole rhyme about the red-legged scissor man. And basically, this is just like a vile goblin creature that will come and uh, cut off your thumbs if you keep sucking your thumb. Oh, okay. So we talked about English nursery bogeys back in our Stuff to Blow Your Mind episode about Jenny Green Teeth. Yeah. Where I think generally the idea is that many of these uh, stories are about monsters that were made up in order to teach children a lesson or to discourage a prohibited activity. Yes, to scare them into obedience, <laughs> where you're like, look, I'm, I'm tired of arguing with you. Just look at it this way. If you don't stop sucking your thumb, a monster is going to come and cut those thumbs off. Yeah, if you don't stop playing by the filled in marl pits, then Jenny Greenteeth is going to pull you under. <laughs> now, another uh, example that came up is uh, an entity known as uh, Kuchisaki Ona. Uh, this is the Japanese slit mouth woman, a uh, spirit uh, that's said to brandish a pair of scissors and also has like a gaping slit mouth, uh, like her cheek, you know, has been uh, cheeks have been cut open on either side, which I think is also called a, what a Glasgow grin, uh, you know, like mm. the Joker right. uh, has in uh, what the, the the Dark Knight Return, yeah. before, the, the second Batman movie. The Dark Knight, yeah. And uh, uh, basically the idea is like she appears to you and if she – and then she'll ask you if she is beautiful and you just have to say yes because if you say <laughs> no, she'll slash you with her scissors. Oh, my God. And uh, yeah, I was re- reading a little about this. It's, it, I read that the, the idea has caused a public panic as recently as 1979 and the idea itself dates back possibly to the Edo period. But it's very much an example of the overall Japanese vengeful, vengeful ghost motif. And that motif, of course, goes a long ways back and is a staple in Chinese mythology and other East Asian myth cycles as well, Hmm. just, you know, often without the scissors. Now, I can't remember, were there any scissors or shears among the possessed demon tools that we talked about in an episode of Stuff to Pull Your Mind not too long ago? I don't recall specifically, but I, you know, I would almost assume they would be on the list. Uh Uh-huh. Now, another example I came to was uh, I was reading Spindle, Shuttle, and Scissors, Ambiguous Power in the Grimm Brothers' Tales by Celia uh, Catlett-Anderson. And the author points out that, quote, the Teutonic tradition domesticates the Greek mythology in which spindle and scissors are personified. And so uh, these implements factor into numerous uh, of the, the Grimm, uh, Grimm Brothers' tales, uh, aiding heroines and villains alike with varying magical properties. And so they're, they're frequently instruments we see here in some of these other examples of feminine power and uh, a counterpoint to, um, to the weaponry of male characters that you, uh, you see in, say, the Grimm Brothers' work. I often notice this in, uh, in in fiction where when scissors are wielded in a threatening way, you know, not just on, you know, thread or whatever, but when they're wielded as a weapon, it's very often by women against men in mm-hmm. movies and stuff. I think about uh, the Hitchcock movie Dial M for Murder. Oh, yeah. That, that was a classic. I was looking up some, some famous scissor kills and mm-hmm. that one definitely made the list. Uh, more recently, Jordan Peele's Us uh, uh, features scissors. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then there's a wonderful scene, like the most memorable scene in the movie The Exorcist Part 3. <laughs> Do you remember this sequence? Horrifying. Yeah, there's a, where – it is not especially – it's not even gory. It's uh-huh. just a, a wonderful jump scare involving a, like a gigantic pair. I think they're supposed to be like – autopsy or necropsy scissors. Oh, yeah, though, for shearing bones maybe. Yeah, yeah. Th- though I think they're ultimately an exaggerated prop. Uh, certainly listeners can write in and, and correct me on this, but I believe that the, the, the shears that are displayed in that movie are, are way larger than anything you would actually use. The Exorcist 3 is actually pretty scary. Yeah, it is. It has some has some great parts and some, and some wonderful uh, actors in it as well. Uh, Brad Dorff is in it. Yeah, he is. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Edward Scissorhands, the uh, the unfinished uh, lowercase f Frankenstein with scissors for hands from Tim Burton's 1990 film classic. I think they're deploy. I, I haven't seen Edward Scissorhands in a long time, but I remember it's basically like an ironic thing that he's right. got scissors for hands because he is a gentle soul, right? And it's and it's yeah, it's part of the metaphor of like oh, you know, he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have hands. He can't uh, he can't uh, touch and uh, and and have this this very uh, human part of his sensory experience because mm-hmm. instead he has these awful scissors. But then he still manages to do beautiful things with those scissors. 
And I believe you had a, f- had a favorite example from a cinematic uh, oh, uh, history as well. Well, just because I can't get the big Lebowski out of my head. I've watched <laughs> it a hundred times or whatever. Of course, there's the dream sequence with the big horrible, you know, the German nihilists from the band Autobahn with their giant scissors. Yes. I actually think yeah, the big Lebowski example is quite interesting because they're ultimately – they show up as a manifestation, a dream manifestation of castration fear. Uh-huh. And again, scissors and shears are often a part of castration fear. And here we've seen all these examples examples of them being attributed to malevolent female entities brandishing them as a result of male myth-making throughout history. Yeah. Well, maybe now that we have suitably over-dramatized and read a lot of, uh, like, myth and horror into this common household item, let's come back to the common household item and think about scissors and shears as an invention. Oh, yeah. And I have to say, a big fan of scissors. We're a big scissor household. Uh-huh. My, my son has always been obsessed with crafting. Uh, he's seven now, and I actually cannot remember the last time he used safety scissors or children's scissors because mm-hmm. he's just used just straight-up kitchen scissors for the longest um, it's like he prefers them. Maybe we try – like years ago, we tried to get him to use other scissors. He's like, nope, I got to use some real scissors, mom. <laughs> what? Yeah. He demanded the unsafe ones? Well, I mean he uses them safely. So I right. guess they yeah. are the safe scissors. But uh-huh. but we also – you know, we tried to, you know, get him like chopping vegetables pretty early too and like treating him – you know, teaching him to be careful with these tools and to, to you know, not take their sharpness for granted. So Oh, that's great actually. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's good to get kids accustomed to using blades early on in their lives. I know I, I encounter a lot of adults who I think are still afraid of knives in the kitchen. Like mm-hmm. it hampers their ability to cook because they kind of – it looks like they're trying not to get too close to it. <laughs> they're using it. Yeah, it's kind of like trying to, to light a match when you're afraid of the the fire that's going to uh-huh. spark on the end, you know, and you end up like just, you know, destroying match after match <laughs> and right. to strike it. Yeah. Okay, so when you look at a pair of scissors, uh, what's actually going on here? I guess we don't need to explain too much about what scissors are and how they work because you've all encountered them. But we'll do the short version and mention a couple of mechanical features of scissors that you might not realize. So the basic mechanics are pretty simple. Scissors or shears could also be referred to as a kind of double lever. The two arms are usually sharpened into blades, and those blades slide directly against one another at a kind of moving point of contact as they open and close. And I guess a a variation on this would be the kind of scissors that – or the kinds of shears that are not sliding scissors that go back and forth across each other, but like uh, clippers. You know, you might see where there's like a flat surface and a blade that comes flush against it. uh, Which is somewhat uh, different, but also has, has basically the same mechanism of action. Now, the purpose, especially with the crossing blades, is to apply sheer force in order to cut a target object. It might be paper, might be fabric, might be the thread of life. Uh, But a a slightly less intuitive mechanical feature of scissors that I did start thinking about, I thought this was kind of interesting. When you describe the scariest scissors from monster folktales and horror, what do they look like? Oh, well, they, they tend to be those big, big. what I think of as big grandma fabric scissors. Yeah, long pointy blades, yeah. right? But the cutting power of a pair of scissors operates like a lever, which means to have stronger cutting power, a pair of scissors should actually have long handles and short blades. And this is why when you see scissors made for cutting weak targets like paper, they can have relatively short handles and long blades, uh, though a tip for using scissors is that they've got the most cutting power at a point of contact really close to the fulcrum, so down right. closest to your fingers. Um, on the other hand, when you see scissors or shears made for really powerful cutting of tough materials like metal or leather or thick plant matter, they tend to have longer handles and shorter blades. The longer handles function like a longer lever for more mechanical power at the cutting point. So really, the scariest scissors from our scissor nightmares and scissor horror should have short blades and long handles. That's what could really hurt you. Yeah, and I think that's that's why those scissors in The Exorcist Three are ultimately, uh, I think, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And why you also see uh, you see various uh, forums online where people are like, "What are those scissors? What do you call those scissors?" And I think the answer is you call those big scary prop scissors <laughs> because in reality, the scissors you would use to you know to to cut a part of a cadaver during an autopsy would be powerful, but they would not be like visibly gigantic. Uh, well, I don't remember the ones I remember did seem to have long handles from the movie. Do I? I think they did. Like they, oh, okay. they did. Well, they did have long handles, but uh, I think they also had kind of like large, like super blades. long yeah. blades. Yeah, yeah. They they looked a bit like um, like like trimming shears, like you would trim on a he- used to trim a hedge. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
I can't wait to hear from all the medical professionals out there who are writing in like, no, I actually use those Exorcist 3 shears. Here's what I use them for. If, if that's the case, please tell us. Yeah, yeah. We would love to hear from you. Uh, but so a question we always like to ask when we're looking at an invention is what came before? So how could we ask that about scissors? I don't know, but we'll try. Maybe we should take a break and then we'll we'll come back and address that. Let's do it. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A dot com. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier, connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. All right, we're back. So what came before scissors? Well, I, I think the obvious answer here is that, you know, ultimately scissors are an evolutionary step beyond a single cutting instrument, beyond like a single blade. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we should stop and think again about the challenges of cutting something, say a strand of hair. Okay. So to use a common blade, what are you going to do? You're going to need to to some way hold the hair in place for the blade to cut via that that pushing force and that sheer stress that we've talked about already. Mm-hmm. And if you have a, a sharp razor, which is, of course, a specialized knife, nothing more, um, you know, and, you, and if you're going to cut close to the skin, you know, if you're shaving mm-hmm. – that's easy enough. The hair is basically in, held in place uh, due to the, uh, you know, the, the, the close proximity to, to the skin, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just shaving in a nutshell. But if you're going to cut up further up the strand, you need to hold it in place somehow. Scissors do that. They hold the strand in place long enough for the pushing force and the sheer stress to act on it via a small area, the edge of the blade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a way, I think that forces us to stop and rethink what it is to cut anything, mm-hmm. you know, that it, it all comes down to, uh, you know, applying that pressure, applying that force, and then it, it's all coming down to a very thin portion of the instrument. It's also important to note that scissors allow us to make very precise cuts. Uh, and for this, I want to read just a, an excellent summary of this from a, 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 a paper titled Modeling the Forces of Cutting with Scissors by Mavosh et al. And, uh, and ultimately, like this paper gets into you know, a lot more technical uh, um, areas. But uh, I, I just found this particular summary just you know, uh, you know, very, um, very effective. Mm-hmm. Quote, scissors are possibly the most effective and precise tools for cutting of thin tissues in open and laparoscopic surgery and thin objects in daily tasks. To see this, compare cutting of a sheet of paper using a pair of scissors with that of using a sharp blade. When cutting with a blade, the paper should be firmly held, and it is difficult to make precise cuts. However, when cutting with a pair of scissors, the scissor blades themselves locally hold the paper, making it easy to have precise cuts. 
cuts. An interaction between scissors and an object involves two main physical phenomena, local deformation and fracture. As soon as the scissor blades contact the object, the object is locally deformed. When the deformation reaches a certain level, fraction occurs and the object is separated. Yeah, I think about the difference but because I have tried to cut paper with a knife before. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not easy. I mean, the paper tears. You kind of end up pushing on it, especially if the blade is dull. Even if the blade is sharp, it's hard to make straight or precise cuts with a knife. The knife kind of wants to go all over the place. It wants yeah. to curve off course and stuff. I also often think about this with another, uh, another invention – uh, that I often find um, irritating, and that is the big industrial paper cutter with the big, uh-huh. uh, uh, like, machete blade guillotine uh, on the side. Uh-huh. Because, like, that is essentially, you, generally what's happening is you're being forced to cut with the entire length of the blade, with the entire length of the scissors. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it cuts really well down there towards the the axis. Right. Uh, but the further up you go, the, like, the, it's just going to go off to the side. It's going to rip. Maybe I'm using it wrong uh, or trying to put too much paper in there. But I always find it a frustrating experience. <laughs> now, I was wondering about a question having to do with with cutting in the ancient world, in the prehistoric world. And that question is, did prehistoric hominids cut their hair? And if so, how did they do it? Because hmm. obviously, you can cut hair with a knife. Uh, it just doesn't seem like the best way. I mean, if you had scissors, it'd be a lot easier. Yeah, this is this is something I, I was thinking about a little while back, while back as well. I think I was at the zoo, and I was thinking about you know all the the wonderful uh, you know, d- different varieties of, of hair and feathers and and uh, and so forth that you see on animals. But uh, but humans, like we're the ones who can, if left to uh, our own devices, grow enormous and ridiculous beards and mm-hmm. grow enormously ridiculous long hair. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't see that on say a gorilla or a chimpanzee. So it would make sense that as we you know it became more and more human, as we developed this ability to grow out ridiculous lengths of hair, we would start developing means of cutting it back. Yeah. Just to keep from, like, strangling ourselves in the <laughs> night with our own matted braids, you know? Yeah, I mean, hair doesn't grow forever. I mean, at some point, most uh, hair will reach a certain length where it, it stops growing there and hair grows from different follicles and mm-hmm. stuff where it'll fall out eventually. Um, and so we, we don't know exactly what fashion and grooming trends were like in the ancient world. We have some evidence from, like, ancient artistic depictions of other humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, prehistoric people might not have had all the hair care practices of modern people, but there is some archaeological and artistic evidence that they did some stuff to their hair. Sometimes they took care of their hair, including a lot of uh, indications of braiding, especially braiding of long hair in women, but sometimes cutting hair or shaving the head. Uh, Like there are a lot of depictions of prehistoric peoples that appear to have no hair on their head. So why would that be? Well, again, it's really hard to know for sure why fashion and grooming trends arise, especially in the ancient world where there are no written records. But one possibility is that cutting hair short or shaving it would help prevent infestation of parasites like lice. Mm. Uh, it would make hygiene easier. And it might possibly have been involved in sexual selection or attractiveness. Uh, this is related to the hypothesis that our, our hominid ancestors, like why did they lose the thick covering of body hair that they had a few million years ago? One hypothesis is, well, they lost most of their body hair as a way of repelling parasites. And that would turn into a kind of honest advertising of hygiene and health to mates. You could say, like, look at my relatively hairless skin. No parasites hiding anywhere in there. And yet the ability to grow a ridiculous beard <laughs> right, <laughs> remained. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, again, we don't know. But it's possible that something like that helped push hair grooming priorities, uh, such as cutting hair short or shaving the head or trimming the beard. But we don't know for sure. But, yeah, so ancient peoples did some things to their hair. We have some evidence of that. And it, uh, it it seems likely that before we had good metal tools like bronze tools, they probably just used sharp knives or sharp like stone knives mm-hmm. maybe made from flint or obsidian or whatever. Doesn't sound very pleasant. Well, you know, but but it, it does show you why they would develop, uh, you know, increasingly better means of doing it. You know, you'd mm-hmm. want you'd want it to be a more pleasant experience, and you'd want to have more, uh, you know, aesthetically pleasing results, especially if it was something that was involved in mate selection, which I think is not a stretch to imagine because it essentially that's the case today. Right. We're we're just very fortunate today to have scissors for haircutting. 
Now, uh, so the scissors we're familiar with today are, are usually based on what you might call the pivot model of design. And that, that's where the two blades are actually two separate pieces of metal. And they're connected – each one blade is connected to one handle for the fingers and then they're joined together by a pin. And then that becomes the fulcrum of the, the two levers moving open and close. But an interesting design feature of the scissors of the ancient world is that they often – did not have a pivot. They did not have multiple pieces even. They're built out of a single piece of metal with no pivoting parts. Now, how would that work? Well, it's actually pretty simple if you think about it for a second. It worked on the principle of a spring. Mm -hmm. and, I, and by the way, I certainly want to come back and do an episode on springs uh -huh. to, to fully invoke coyly uh, the, uh, the, the spirit <laughs> of springs, uh, the, the gremlin of springs, uh, so that we can consider what would a world would be like with no springs. That is one of the best MST shorts of all time. I, I'm so excited. I got to show it to my son over the weekend because he was he asked in the car. He'd found a little spring. Uh -huh. And he asked, he said, what would happen if there were no springs? What? Yeah. And I was he like. straight up asked? Yeah, he, he asked. And I was like, well. I have a short to show you. And so we started watching it and and he was like, I think he's evil. I think Coyle's evil. And I'm like, no, you got to watch the whole thing. He's teaching a lesson. Everything's going to turn out okay. He's like Clarence the Angel in It's a Wonderful Life, except instead of – for instead of George Bailey, it's spring. Exactly. See what the world would be like. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so you can you can make – a pair of scissors without any pivoting or moving parts out of a single piece of metal just on the principle of a spring. And this is how most ancient scissors were made. Uh, for example, I just picked one random example I found in a museum collection online. It's part of the Metropolitan Museum of Arts collection. And this is a pair of scissors from the Tang Dynasty period of China. It's dated to sometime between the 7th and 9th century. It's an ornate pair of silver scissors with partial gilding showing birds in flight and and vines and branches, and it has no pivot. Instead, try to picture this. The shears are they're, – they're all one piece of metal, and the handle is a rod of silver that's curved into an infinity sign or like a sideways figure eight shape, except that one of the halves of that infinity sign does not close. It's not another closed curve, but rather it turns into two straight blades shooting out that sort of cross each other. And then the handle functions as a spring. It's elastic and it stores the mechanical energy there in, in the tension of the metal. And so you would sort of squeeze the infinity sign to close the blades upon each other. Basically, think of a pair of tweezers mm -hmm. and you have the basic like mechanics of it in mind. Yeah. Except instead of pinching, it brings two blades together to cut. Uh, you can also compare this to the difference between like salad tongs that are scissor-like and mm -hmm. have the pivot to like simple tongs that are one piece of metal, uh, you know, with the little claw bits on each end. Exactly right. Yeah. And so not all ancient spring-based shears or scissors had an infinity-shaped handle. You could also create them with just a simple U-shaped bend as long as it had the right elastic properties to bring the shears together. And that's what a lot of the simpler ones I've seen look like. Uh, but sh uh, th so this was 7th to 9th century. That would be 7th to 9th century CE. Scissors and shears go back a lot farther than this. You can find them even in the very ancient world. Yeah, we know uh, of surgical shears uh, and scissors used in ancient Mesopotamia. Um, I was uh, looking in uh, a paper by um, Adamson titled uh, Surgery in Ancient Mesopotamia, and the author points out that there, you know, there was little or no difference between domestic tools and surgical tools. And this included, for instance, tweezers, which would have been used for uh, hair removal, for uh, you know, uh, remove unwanted hair from the body, mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, as we've kind of already discussed, has always been an issue. But uh, but then also there were the shears or the scissors, um, uh, which I, I believe is C or Urpu uh, based on this text. And uh, these would have been, quote, coarse metal instruments mainly used for shearing animals. But also good enough for surgery. <laughs> yeah. And they were – the ancient Mesopotamians were carrying out a variety of procedures including um, the surgical creation of eunuchs. Mm -hmm. But also they were uh, using trepanation uh, at times. So, I mean, it's not like – they were tepid about getting in there with their uh, household and uh, livestock tools uh, to, you know, address issues or, I guess, create issues in the human body. Yeah. Now, the ancient Egyptians used shears as well. Yeah. I was looking at Encyclopedia of Hair, A Cultural History by Victoria Shero. 
And uh, she points out that the ancient Egyptians had scissors as far back as 1500 BCE. And, you know, they would just, they would use these tools and other tools to cut hair and, uh, and, and address hair along with combs, hairpins, and various hair removal devices that, uh, uh, and I'm assuming those are, are, we're talking about tweezers as well. Mm-hmm. I was reading a similar thing about shears from Iron Age Europe in the collection of the British Museum. A, a few of the items I found there that were like ver- versions of shears or scissors seem to also have been used to cut hair. At least that's the current interpretation by the curators there. And they were commonly found among the grave goods of people, especially it seems like relatively high status people. So you're a guy who got buried in first century uh, Roman Britain or something, you might have a pair of iron shears in your grave goods. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you want to look good for your funeral. <laughs> And then uh, I also f- found a, a c- cool example from the ancient Roman times, the forfex, they were called. And this consisted of, of two blades on a common metal loop, essentially the spring-loaded si- shears or scissors that we were discussing earlier. And by the way, there was also a Roman gladiator class known as a scissor, uh, meaning to cut. But apparently very little is ultimately known about it. And none of the theories involve a gladiator with a, like a big pair of dumb scissors. Uh, in fact, the depictions I saw or the interpretations are that it had some, you know, something like a pendulum-shaped uh, blade on the end of like a tube that was fitted over uh, one of the gladiator's arms. Sick. Yeah, I mean, pretty – I mean, if you're into gla- gladiatorial combat, it still sounds <laughs> – Pretty cool, uh, and I and I the thing was I if I wouldn't put it above the Romans to have sent somebody out with a pair of livestock shears uh, to try and battle somebody with a net and a trident, uh, but as far as I can tell, there's no evidence that they uh, ever did that. Okay, time for a little exploration of the word scissors. Good word because is there a singular scissor? Is that a word? Isn't that what happens when you take a pair of kitchen scissors and you snap them in half, you know, the kind that, that uh, where the pivot unlocks? I have one scissor and another scissor here. Yeah, and I must put both scissors into the dishwasher for the evening. No, it, it is not like that. <laughs> there is a word scissor, but it's a verb, right? Okay, you can scissor something. You can cut up a piece of paper. Uh, it seems to be a new coinage. It okay. just comes from the word scissors. For uh, instance, if I if I sleep with a body pillow, I might scissor the body pillow with my legs. Okay, you yeah. could do that too. Uh, th- there was an interesting little article on the, the word scissors by the editors of Merriam-Webster a while back, and they they point out that scissors is an example of a of what's known as a pluralitantum, uh, you know, an all plural, a word in which a singular object is represented presented by a plural form word and it's grammatically treated as a plural form word, right? Like you say, the scissors are on the table even though it's just one pair of scissors. Oh, yes. Are is for the plural verb. Uh, and this isn't always the case but it happens with a lot of objects that I notice are like bilaterally symmetrical and uh, so like pants or trousers – that's plurality tantum, right? Yeah. There's no pant. But this, see, that really puts you in a bind because what if you come in, into a room and on the table there's a half a pair of kitchen uh, scissors uh-huh. and there is a half a pair of pants? Uh-huh. Like it would be easier to say somebody left a scissor and a pant on this table. Right. But instead you have to you know, go the extra distance to describe uh, what you were, you were actually seeing. Yeah. Another example, glasses or spectacles. There is oh. such thing as a singular spectacle, but that means something different. Hmm. But with glass, I mean, you do. It is a glass. It is. Well, it's not a looking. It's glass. a piece, it's of, a glass. piece of glass. Yeah, yeah it's true. Uh, yeah, a singular spectacle. Now there is such a thing as a singular lens for one eye, but that's not a spectacle. That's, that's a, a monocle. monocle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other examples of plurality tantums. These are not ones that are uh, bilaterally s- symmetrical. But uh, how about uh, feces? Yeah. Entrails. Mm-hmm. Riches. Mm-hmm. Alms. There's no singular of any of these words. So the word in English scissors is derived from the old French uh, cissoirs, I think, which means scissors or shears, which comes from the vulgar Latin scissorium, which means a cutting instrument. Ah, and this would have been the, the key to the, the Roman uh, gladiatorial class. Yeah, I think that's right. Now, the English spelling of scissors uh, was changed at one point to include a C, so S-C-I in scissors. Now, why would that be? Well, that's probably because English English linguists incorrectly assumed that the word was derived from the Latin terms starting with SCI that have to do with splitting or cutting, the words that ultimately probably give us the SCI root in the word science Hmm. from the Latin scire, meaning to know, related to the idea of 
cutting because you, when you know something, you make distinctions, you separate, you dissect. Yes, you must take it apart and figure out how it works. Right. So the moral of the story is that knowledge will cut you. One more weird fact I came across. Apparently, according to some dictionaries of usage, in the 19th century, a common exclamation of frustration in English was, oh, scissors. I've never come across this in the wild. Like, oh, scissors. Right. Or, or could you adapt it and be like, what the scissors? <laughs> All right. On that note, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we will discuss uh, the legacy of scissors. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot you can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. All right, we're back. All right, so uh, we've been talking about scissors. Scissors, of course, became a very common household implement used in, you know, they're used in professional settings and household settings. There are sort of general scissors and then there are very specialized scissors. Of course, we've mentioned that like scissors that need, that need to be, you know, powerful for cutting through heavy-duty stuff like metals will often be designed with like long handles and, and short blades. But there are also other special designs for scissors that have arisen in the modern world, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, Certainly, if you look at medical scissors, yeah. there, are, there are many different varieties to aid in a plethora of specific surgical tasks. So you have stitch scissors, you have suture scissors, you have umbilical scissors, you have operating scissors, cuticle scissors, nail scissors, etc. And that's not even getting into scissor-like instruments uh, that, uh, you know, or that are more about pinching or clamping, such as hemostats. Hmm. And then, of course, we have the world of crafting, uh, where you have so many different varieties of scissors as well. What, uh, Robert, do you know what pinking shears are? I know that word, but I don't know what it does. Uh, these are like these are little tiny ones, right? Are uh, they? I think so. They're or maybe I'm confusing them. But aren't these the ones that you use on? Uh, aren't these for like plants? Oh, I don't think so. I think they've got some kind of spe- – I'm, I'm thinking of pruning Maybe shears. Maybe we shouldn't talk about it if about. we don't know what they are. No, I know no, they're we, a thing. We do not pretend to have all <laughs> knowledge of all scissors. We're not scissor masters here. The people out there in crafts that might use pinking shears, they've got like like ripply blades or something. Oh, well, you, you know, like the alligator type scissors uh, for you – because know, that's the thing. You have – you have varying, uh, you know, sizes of crafting scissors, just as you have varying sizes of uh, of medical scissors, mm-hmm. uh, determining on what you're cutting and you know how you know the length of the cut, the precision of the cut, and then also you have the various designs they may cut, uh, like uh, you know the sort of alligator toothed uh, serrated blade scissors that uh, you know allow you to leave behind a pattern. Mm-hmm. Now, Ultimately useless for anything else but but <laughs> cutting, uh, making a cool pattern when you cut. I'm sure somebody's come up with a good use for them. Uh, now, another one is uh, trauma shears. I think this is pretty interesting. Shears that are specially designed 
to be able to cut through heavy-duty stuff while at the same time not stabbing or poking people. Oh, like they, cutting clothing from an injured individual. Exactly. They, they might be used by, say, a paramedic responding to a, you know, a medical incident where you need to get somebody's clothes off real quick to you know, treat a wound or something mm-hmm. or even just see what's wrong with them right. to get under there and see the problem. Uh, but maybe they're wearing heavy-duty jeans or something like that or you, know, you can't move them. So you, you just cut through the clothes. So they're in an angle that makes it easier to cut through clothes without your hand getting in the way. But then also they, they've got like just a little barrier at the bottom so that they're not stabbing or cutting your skin while you're going along trying to cut them off even if the clothes are tight. But another great example of, of life-saving scissors, I guess this would be the exact opposite of the, uh, the, the abhorred shears of Atropos. The, these would be the jaws of life. Now, this is, this is interesting because, of course, I, prior to this episode, I had heard of the jaws of life, of course. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just kind of like a common refrain of like, oh, you're going to get the jaws of life. Sometimes even used as a joke, uh, uh, weirdly enough, uh, where someone's going to need to be removed from some sort of like a vehicle or something, get the jaws of life. And the thing is, I always imagined the jaws of life as being an instrument for prying something open. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are ultimately more like scissors than I gave them credit. Well, it's actually both. Uh, I mean, it depends on what you call the jaws of life, but there are hydraulic tools for be, for doing both of those things. Okay. Um, so I would consider the jaws of life not only a great invention, but a great example of branding because how can you not remember that name? Mm-hmm. Whoever, Whenever the company decided to start calling them jaws of life, that was a smart move. But what are they? So technically the jaws of life uh, is a term referring to a set of hydraulic cutting tools that are used to help extract people who are trapped in hard enclosures, usually metal enclosures. Most often this is going to be people who are trapped inside cars after auto accidents. So you picture the scene to understand the problem. A car has been in a high-velocity freeway collision or maybe you know wrecked on a racetrack or anything like that, and it's partially crushed. And there are passengers inside the car who are injured but still alive. First responders need to be able to get the passengers out so they can get medical treatment, so they can stop bleeding and all that. But because of the way the car was deformed in the accident, the doors won't open. So how do you get them out? Well, there was an inventor and auto company founder named George Hurst who thought about this problem. It was in the 1960s. Supposedly, the idea came to him after he was watching an auto race event where there was a crash and it uh, took the emergency team a long time to get the driver out of the damaged car. And when you're injured in a car crash, that time waiting can be the difference between life and death. There's something first responders talk about this like sort of like the magic hour or the golden hour. Like you, mm-hmm. people need to get to the hospital within an hour if possible. Okay. That's uh, different than the golden hour in photography. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just means – I mean everybody's case is different obviously. Mm-hmm. But like chances are better the sooner you get people there basically. Right. And so George Hurst and his company developed this tool that would later come to be known as the Jaws of Life and patented it in the early 1960s. The common name, of course, comes from the expression of being snatched from the jaws of death. Ah. The jaws of life that snatch you first, I guess. Oh, that's good. Hopefully they don't snatch you because that wouldn't be good. There there are actually multiple hydraulic power tools used in extractions like this today. So you got a hydraulic spreader. This is kind of like reverse scissors. It spreads apart a gap in the metal. Uh, Imagine like prying open a crushed but partially open door. And this is basically what I assumed the the jaws of life were. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also a hydraulic ram that can be thought of as doing a similar kind of job, like spreading things apart, but maybe at more distance or more powerfully. It can be used to, say – unfold partially collapsed auto body frames. For example, if the passenger's legs are trapped under the dash of the car and the car is sort of folded in on you, the ram can be used to spread the car body apart so that they can get you out. And then the hydraulic cutter, uh, which is what would be most analogous to shears, this would be like giant hydraulic scissors, this is used for cutting things off. So cutting off doors, but then also cutting through roofs and parts of body frames so that they can peel the roof off. These are often a safer solution than the old solution, which was circular saws, which took longer. They could throw sparks and debris at you and they could injure the person trapped inside. If you've never seen Jaws of Life in action, it's actually – it's kind of awe-inspiring. There are lots of videos of it online where they just go in and they're just slicing up the car body to get the people out. Oh, wow. 
I wonder if there are ever like just live demos uh, of this technology where they just like come out to the like local fair and because mm-hmm. uh, there's no, you know, various affairs, you know, people want to see a car destroyed either by a Bigfoot truck yeah. or as part of some sort of a competition where you like pay, you know, a few dollars and like you beat the car with a, uh, you know, the baseball bat or something or yeah, a sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Donate an old junk car and then they cut it up with the with the hydraulic cutters. Yeah. yeah. And then it would be a demonstration of the, the technology. Surely that is done somewhere. I'm sure we'll hear from uh, a listener with an example of just such a demo. So if the shears that snip the thread of life are the, the abhorred shears of Atropos, what are what are the life-saving shears called? What's the Greek is there a Greek goddess of like life or birth or something? I mean, uh you could go with Persephone, I guess. Hmm, okay. You know, I also can't help but but think about uh, natural inspiration for for scissors and shears, you know, mm. because uh, obviously even ancient peoples would have uh, seen the crab or the scorpion. Mm. And granted, you know, what we're talking about there are generally instruments for pinching, right. uh, not for uh, the, the sort of shear cutting technique that we're talking about here. But I wonder if if still these biological adaptations might have served as some level of inspiration for, you know, early attempts at scissors. Yeah. Well, an- another thing you could look at would just be like teeth, uh, like cutting teeth coming together right, to chop yeah. at things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, our jaws are essentially scissors. I mean, it comes back to the jaws of life, and the jaws of death, right? Uh-huh. All right. Well, I guess that's our scissors adventure. Yeah. Uh, this was this was a fun one. This was, uh, you know, ultimately a, an example of, of a very simple invention and yet another one of these inventions that we, we cannot tie to a specific, uh, even a specific time period necessarily and certainly not to a specific inventor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still just a fascinating chance to, to take a bit of just ubiquitous technology and, uh, and, and stop and look at it in a new light and try to appreciate the the, the, the glory of this particular invention and how it has changed uh, you know, the, the, the way that we live as humans. Would scissors be among your grave goods? I'm thinking probably not. I don't really <laughs> have any need for scissors in the afterlife. <laughs> but maybe you should pack some just in case. I don't know. You You're going to be one of those shaggy-haired ghosts. <laughs> All right. If you want to check out more episodes of Invention, head on over to inventionpod.com. That's the website. And if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about us. Make sure you have subscribed to the show. And if you have the power to do so, uh, give us some a nice star rating. Leave us a nice review. That sort of thing helps out the show in the long run. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at inventionpod.com. Invention is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungles closing in? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to land.com, find your open space, and get out there.